0: Well, good morning again to everyone. Uh, for those of you who are visiting or are new, my name is Chris and I am one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in a series on the book of Proverbs. And this morning, we are going to be discussing wisdom for marriage. Now, that is a very big topic. There's a lot of things we could discuss when it comes to wisdom for marriage. But I want to focus this morning specifically on wisdom for marriage in relation to conflict. How do you engage conflict? Because to be married is to know conflict. So let me ask you, those, those of you that are married this morning, when was your last conflict? Was it less than five minutes ago? How did that conflict resolve? How, how, how did you engage that? How did you enter into that conflict? What, what sort of things did you say or questions did you ask? What was your body posture? What was the tone of your voice? And what was the result of that conflict? How, how did it resolve? Is it resolved? Maybe you're waiting until you get home to resolve it. But to know marriage is to know conflict. Because when you commit yourself that close to someone, when you, when you commit yourself fully physically and emotionally and spiritually, there is going to be conflict. You are going to get all the wonderful, beautiful aspects of that person, but you're also going to get the ugly and the broken. And, and we can be like... Um, idealistic about this and sing along with John Legend and say, you know, I love all your perfect imperfections, but how many of us honestly think, you know, I would take some more perfection and less imperfection? <laughs> but, but, in, but in all seriousness, to know marriage is to know conflict, and so we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with that conflict? How do we engage it? What, what does it look like to do this with wisdom? Like, how can we engage conflict in a way that it is not something that brings deep division to our marriages, but actually something that brings deep transformation to our marriages. That's what we're going to consider this morning from the book of Proverbs and from another, a, a few other places in Scripture. But here's how the, the Scripture readings that we, we, you just heard Stephen and Andrea read sort of set up this contrast. And here's, here's what I, how I want to get into this topic. We're going to contrast controlling wives and angry husbands with faithful husbands and strong wives. So controlling wives and angry husbands versus faithful husbands and strong wives. Now, let me say a couple caveats before we jump in. First, I know not everyone in this room is married. And so those of you that aren't married, I don't want you to check out. Some of you are on the path to marriage and you desire to be married. And, and so it is good to formulate good categories before you enter into marriage. You're going to enter into it in a much stronger place. And so pay attention. Understand what it means to walk in wisdom now. So when you enter in, you'll be more equipped. Second, married couples, you need your single friends. Single people, you need to speak truth to your married friends. Because it's very easy for married people to go, well, I just need the wisdom of other married couples. Guess what? You need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and single people can say that to you too. And so the truth is is that married people, you need to hear from your single friends and single friends, you need to speak to your married friends. And so again, enter into this together. Thirdly, I'm going to talk about conflict. And I'm going to make a huge assumption here in what I'm saying. I am going to assume that the conflict in your marriage has not risen to the level of abuse. So so I just want to make this clear. So if, let, let, me, let me just say this. With, with all honesty and sincerity, like if your marriage is in a place where the conflict is so deep and so broken, where you would define it as abuse, then do not suffer alone. Like the church is called to love those who are weak and vulnerable and experiencing that abuse. And if that is you, you are free to let me know. You're free to let Pastor Paul know. Talk to somebody in your gospel community or a friend. Do not suffer alone. Bring community into that because that is serious. In church, we are called to rally around those people. And so what I'm talking about this morning doesn't apply to those kinds of situations. That's a different level. Because some of what I'm saying, if I were to say this to someone who's experiencing abuse, would be just dumb and not wise at all. So, so please hear this caveat before we enter into, in, into what we're going to say. But for those of us in a marriage, those of us that know conflict and experience conflict, Let's jump in and see what it looks like to walk in wisdom. Now, here's, here's the good news for us. Because when it comes to conflicts in our marriages, God's word has always been straight up and clear about the nature of conflict. Like right in the beginning of the Bible, there is sort of an overview of what conflict in marriage is going to look like. Here's what God tells Eve, what he tells us in Genesis 3.16 about the effect of sin on our marriages. He says to her, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so here's the sense of this verse. God says this, ladies, your temptation in marriage is going to be contrary to your husband, meaning you are going to buck against his leadership. You are going to push against that leadership that God has placed in your home, whether it's going to be explicit, like, I want that, I want that leadership, and so I'm going to try to pull it away from him, or I'm going to try to manipulate my husband so, to use him so that he does things that I want all the time. And so there's going to be conflict in the way that you engage your husband's leadership and the ways that you are going to want to grab control and power for yourself. And conversely, God tells the men, You're going to rule over your wives. Here's the sense of this. Men, you're going to take that leadership position that God has given you, and you're going to use it for your own gain. You're you're going to be tempted to use it to control your wife, to to perhaps demean her, to to manipulate her, to to use that that position of leadership in such a way where she serves you. And so what we have is a back-and-forth power struggle, a back-and-forth fight for power and control back and forth of who's going to get the final word, who's going to have the final say, who's going to get to call the shots and set the agenda for the family. God has been up front. God has been clear. This is the reality for marriage, married couples. And this is how the book of Proverbs describes this dynamic. First, we see in Proverbs twenty-one, nineteen, for wives, this is what Proverbs says to you. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Like this is, this is the result of your power grabs. This is the result of your seeking control and power over your husband. That relationship that is meant to be life-giving and is meant to bring flourishing to you, that is meant to be a sense of joy and love and closeness and intimacy is gonna be so broken and alienated that your husband would rather live in the desert than be around you. Have you ever, nobody goes to the desert to live for fun, right? No one wants to be in the desert. Like people who do that, they're crazy. Like they're they're trying to see whether, uh, hey, I'm going to see if I can survive the desert. No one goes out there because they want to go on vacation. If that's you, then man, I don't know what to say to you. (laughs) But there is something to be said about the desperation that can come and can be injected into a marriage when you're grabbing for power and control, ladies, when that is what is defining your relationship with your husband. Men, this is what Proverbs says to you. Husbands, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Men, your anger in your marriage is not causing life and health and goodness and righteousness and beauty and wisdom and transformation to take place. It is causing strife. That is relational brokenness. It is causing fear and bitter disagreement to take place. Strife is a relational dynamic where one person grabs for power over another, and then the other person turns around and tries to grab it back. Like, that is what your anger is promoting in your marriage, causing much transgression. Do you realize, men, that the fruit of your anger is a false force multiplier for sin in your marriage? Like, your anger is provoking in your wife sin. It's not causing righteousness to come out of her. And so your anger, and, and, and be under, let, me under, let me be clear about this. Like, anger can be something that you express both sort of outwardly in rage, and also you can burn cold. You can be indifferent. You can withdraw. You can be cruel in your indifference emotionally and spiritually and physically. Both of those things are Anger. So whether you burn hot or you burn cold, your anger is a force multiplier of sin in your marriage. Look, your wife is responsible for her sin, yes. But you are throwing gas on her sin. You are throwing gas on the fire with your anger. And so we have controlling wives and angry husbands. And you know what's sad? is that in our culture this has been, become such a stereotype that we laugh at it and we make fun of it. I mean, think about all the examples within, like, media and entertainment that we have. I mean, go all the way back to black and white TV. The Honeymooners, anybody watch that? Ralph and Alice? Like, the picture of this angry husband controlling nagging wife. And then you jump to more modern TV shows like Married with Children. You have Al and Peg Bundy. Some of you watch that. Some of you, you don't watch that. Or maybe you watched Malcolm in the Middle, and you had Hal and Lois. Or maybe you've watched Everybody Loves Raymond, and you have Deborah and Ray, who is the classic example of the passive withdrawn husband. We laugh at these things. Here's why I think we laugh at these things, because we know that it's true. We know that the pain is real, and we're trying to separate ourselves from it, and so we kind of have to laugh at ourselves. It's a way to sort of put distance between the reality that we face as a way to cope. Because this is a far too real reality for most of you, for many of you. It's painful. It's real. It's not something to laugh at. It's not something to poke fun of. And yet our culture builds these ways of dealing with it rather than getting at the root of the problem. We sort of make peace with the dynamic rather than engaging the dynamic. And so husbands, wives, Just sit with this for a moment. Sit with the reality of the sin that is in your marriage, the conflict that is in your marriage. Sit with the reality of the ways that you have contributed to this brokenness. Wives, don't go, hey, you need to hear this. Men, don't pull an atom and go, well, the woman that you gave me. Sit in this and consider the reality Consider the brokenness that you bring to your marriage. How do you engage your spouse when there is conflict? So think about the way that he spends money or the way she spends money. How do you engage that conflict? Or, or how about the way that she parents or he parents? How do you engage that conflict? What about the ways you feel like he lacks leadership, whether spiritually or, or taking care of things around the house, how do you engage that conflict? Husbands, how do you engage the conflict when you're trying to pursue your wife physically and she's not responding? How do you engage the conflict when she's communicating emotional anxiety to you? Husbands and wives, how do you engage the conflict when you think that they're spending too much time in entertainment, whether watching movies or on social media or hanging out with friends that you wish they wouldn't? And we can just go on and on and on and on through the list. How are you engaging those conflicts? What gets triggered in your soul? Ladies, I'm sure your husband does a lot of things that provoke your control and fear button. Men are good at pushing that button. I'm sure there are some ways that you have legitimate concerns, like your husband may be caught in sin patterns that are legitimate, and you have real reason to be concerned. But you still need to ask the question, how are you engaging that conflict? Little patience for your husband's sin and weakness, tighter control on him, constant corrections, little jabs at the things he does wrong, kind of angsty worry about all the things that if you don't do this, then this is going to happen? Do do you ever sort of poke at him through sarcasm? And what's the result of all that? What, what is the result of all of that brokenness in the way that you engage, all, the, all your grabbing for control, all your grabbing to, to, con, to make sure that your husband does things so that you don't fear, fear, feel fearful anymore? Like, do you ever, are you ever tempted to sort of grab responsibility away from him and say, you know, I'll just take care of that and then sort of enable him in his sin? What, what is the result of your grabbing for control? What is the result of your fear? Is it peace, and unity, and vulnerability, and closeness, and partnership, and joy, and and love, wisdom, righteousness? Like, is your control and your fear producing those things? I wonder if all the grabs at control have birthed in your own soul a dislike for the, the institution of marriage altogether. A dislike of the fact that God has called men to be the leaders in the home. And you just prefer that you do it. But, men, what about you in the midst of your conflicts? What gets triggered? Look, I understand your wife is a sinner. That's the biggest duh in the world. That's like saying the sky is blue. She's a human being. Of course, she's a sinner. Of course, she does things that make your leadership difficult. But you still need to ask yourself what are you doing with the conflict? How are you engaging her sin? Little patience for your wife's sin and weakness, tighter control on her, constant corrections and complaining and angry rants, suspicious questioning. Do you rage at her? Do you use sarcasm to demean her? Man, I hope you don't use your physical strength to intimidate her. Or maybe you're the one that burns cold and so you withdraw and you're cruel in your indifference. You'll withdraw emotionally and spiritually and physically from her and just kind of leave her on her own. How do you engage the conflict? And what is the result of that anger, whether hot or cold? Are you bringing peace? Are you bringing unity? Are you bringing vulnerability and companionship? Are you bringing joy and love and partnership and wisdom and righteousness to your marriage? Husbands and wives, conflict is a regular part of marriage. But what is all that anger and control and fear producing? You need to be honest about that. You need to ask yourself that question. You need to look that in the face. What is it producing? Because this is what James 1.20 says. The anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God. And so if you're living in this cycle of anger and fear and control, it is not producing the righteousness of God in your marriage. You're not walking in wisdom in your marriage. Do you hear wisdom's voice calling you to something better because that's what wisdom calls you to something far better something far greater than just the cycle of anger and control and fear and so before we get into this topic of faithful husbands and strong wives let me ask you this question how are you feeling about the conflict in your marriage have you just accepted it have you sort of resolved that this is just the way it's going to be Have have you come to this place where, hey, there's always going to be this bad conflict, so all I'm trying to do is just minimize the effects. So I'm going to just try to box in the damage, but I'm not going to hope for any sort of change. Have you come to that place where you sort of see your life as a sitcom and you just kind of bitterly laugh? Yeah, I'm an angry husband. She's a controlling wife. This is us. Have you lost hope? for change in your marriage? Are you discouraged? Maybe some of you, you're plotting your way out because you're done. You've lost hope. You're so discouraged. You think there's no way that I can change. There's no way that this marriage can change. But here's where we need to be honest. And and, and let me let me sort of just pastor you here for, for a minute here. Here's where we need to be honest. First of all, your pain is legitimate. That sin is legitimate. But guess what? The problem is actually more, more terrible than you realize sometimes. Like the problem is worse than we even want to admit. Like the sin goes so far down into our souls and corrupts our entire nature that really you are hopeless. Hopeless. Like in and of yourself, you are hopeless. There's no marriage book. There's no counselor, Dr. Phil, Oprah, I don't care. It's not going to pull you out of that cycle of control and fear and anger to birth the righteousness of God. The problem is far too great and far too deep. So in some sense, you need to come to grips with the fact that it's worse off than even you realize. There is a level of hopelessness that is good to feel when you come to the end of yourself. But here's the other side of the equation. Here's the other side of this. The good news is that there is hope. There is hope if you're looking outside yourself. There is hope outside of your own ability and your own wisdom. Like the gospel of Jesus Christ offers you an incredible amount of hope. Because here's what we're faced with. And this is the wonderful thing about the book of Ephesians. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, you have this stark reality. We're dead in our sin Like we're given over to our sin. We're slaves to our sin. But the two most beautiful words in the Bible probably, but God. Here is the hope. But God, God who is rich in mercy, as we sang this morning, poured out his love on us through Jesus Christ. He sent Christ to die for our sin. So husbands, every time you have spoken in anger to your wife, every time you have tried to manipulate your wife in anger, every time you have been impatient with your wife, every time you've spoken sarcastically and harmed her with your anger, whether hot or cold, Jesus Christ took that on himself. That sin was nailed to the cross for you. Wives, every time you have grabbed for control, every time you have acted out in fear, every time you have nagged your husband, every time you've driven your husband to the desert, every time you have sort of injected your own control over him, and demeaned him, and harmed him. Every time that that your sin has affected, Jesus took that, nailed to the cross for you. That's your hope. That's your way out of the cycle of anger and control and fear. Jesus Christ paid for every sin Jesus Christ paid for you and I and our brokenness and the ways that we have messed up and jacked up our marriages. Christ took that on himself. And here's what's also good news for you. You're not only forgiven, you're cleansed. Like Christ has cleansed you from that sin. He has broken the power of sin. He has given you his spirit so you can walk in wisdom and righteousness. Not your own power, but his spirit, his wisdom, his righteousness. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you feel like you have no hope, let me tell you, through Jesus Christ, there's always hope. Always hope. No matter how bad your marriage has gotten, if you're on the brink of pulling the the ripcord and you're parachuting out, you're done. Through Jesus Christ, there is hope. Don't look to your own ability. Don't look to some self-help book. Don't look to some marriage counselor, some marriage seminar, as good as those things can be. Look to Jesus Christ. Look at the hope that he offers, look at the forgiveness that he offers, Look at the power that he gives you for your marriage. Oh there is always hope, and we have to root our hope in Christ in His power and, and the work that He is doing in our hearts. And so let me ask you this question: Have you received what Christ has offered? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you turned from your sin and received the forgiveness he offers, the cleansing he offers? Have you received the spirit that he pours out on those who belong to him? Because here's the good news. The gospel transforms angry husbands into faithful husbands. As we repent of our sin, as we experience greater and greater freedom, The gospel transforms angry husbands into faithful husbands. This is what God's word tells us in Ephesians 5, 25, and 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, love your wives. Not rule them. Love them. Love them. Lead them. Give yourself to them in the same way that Christ gave himself to the church. Christ did not intimidate his bride. He did not rage at his bride. He's not cold and cruel and indifferent to his bride. No, he loves his bride. And he sanctifies her. He cleanses her. He transforms her. And men, what is your goal in conflict? This is a question you should always ask yourself in the midst of conflict. What's my goal here? What's my point here? Is my point to sort of have circumstances arrive at a place where I'm, I'm happy with them and they, they, they're good for me and, and my wife agrees that I'm right and she was wrong? Is that your goal in conflict? That the circumstances are just arriving in your benefit? Because what the gospel calls you to is that in conflict, you're leading your wife into greater godliness. Like the gospel calls you in every conflict to see that your wife is growing in Christ. And even think of the term husband. It's built into the title, guys. What is a husband? The term husband is less about position of leadership and more about the actual action and verb. A husband, to husband, is to conserve, to cultivate, to steward. Like your job, it's in the title, guys. Your job is to cultivate and steward that conflict that your wife grow into greater godliness. And so men, that is your goal. That is what you're called to. It's not just resolving a situation so it benefits you. It's so that your wife knows Jesus and loves him more and walks in greater righteousness and godliness. This is a great calling, guys. This is an incredible calling that God would say, hey, I want you to steward my daughter so that she becomes more like me. And this is what wisdom calls you to. Faithful husbands love and lead their wives in wisdom so they can become more like Jesus. So let me give you a couple categories, guys, really quickly. First, wisdom calls you to show patience. Show patience. Be patient with your wife. Be patient with her struggles and her sins and her insecurities. She's human. She's going to struggle. And guess what? Following your leadership is hard. You aren't all that. You make some really dumb decisions. I know this because your wives tell me about them. (laughs) So be patient with the fact (laughs) that it's sometimes hard to follow you. And your patience comes into play when you recognize hey my role here is for her to walk in greater godliness not just resolve the situation for my benefit and so i can be humble i can be patient patience is demonstrated in prayer because when you're praying for your wife you're trusting in the holy spirit you recognize hey it's not my anger that's going to change her it's the holy spirit so i'm going to pray for her and then i'm going to love her and allow the lord to use me to speak truth to her so that she can become more and more like christ so when you speak speak in patience like god is patient with your wife and so when you speak in patience you're speaking in such a way that reflects the way god sees her and god loves her be honest and open men about how your how your wife's sin affects you this doesn't mean you minimize her sin this doesn't mean you hide it this doesn't mean that you, you sort of go indifferent to your wife's sin. It just means you're speaking to her in such a way that you want to see her grow in godliness. So be patient, show patience. Second, show understanding. Like wisdom calls you to understand your wife. If you're going to help her grow in Christ, you need to understand her. Like, like Men, do you know what tempts your wife? Do you know what causes her to fear? Do, do you know what her particular sin struggles are? You're probably like, well, of course I do. I live with her. But do you really know? Do you really understand what is going on in her heart? Faithful husbands, wise, wise husbands seek to understand. How can you minimize her temptations? How, how can you walk alongside her to help her fight her temptations? Like, do you do things that kind of provoke her? Or are you trying to do things that actually make it easier for her to fight temptation? So seek to understand. Ask questions, men. We're terrible at this. We like to assume, we we think we have it figured out. Ask questions. Man, there is a a massive difference between when I just accuse Mindy of things and when I ask her questions. Like, here's how this can often go in our home. Mindy's feeling anxious about something, and that anxiety is kind of causing her to sin. I can go, hey, stop being anxious. Or I can go, hey, babe, why are you anxious right now? Boom. Massive difference in response. One throws up her defense. The other is, oh, I'm being anxious. I, I, I need to respond to my husband's question. I need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in this moment. And, and so when you're navigating specific situations, like money, hey, hey, hey babe, would you stop spending money on this? Versus, hey, can you help me understand why you're spending money here? Can, can you understand, help me understand why you make this decision in parenting? Can, can you help me understand, hey, why, why you're, feeling this particular emotion. Seeking understanding is huge, men, because when you do that, it opens up sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. It it allows our wives to to sort of stop and reflect, hey, why am I doing this? Why am I sinning in this way? Why am I anxious? Why, Why am I parenting this way? Why am I spending money in this way? So show understanding. Third, show honor. Value your wife. Value her as a human being made in the image of God. Value her role in your life. Do you know she is God's gift to you? Like Adam was insufficient alone. And so God gave him the gift of a wife. Men, do you see your wife as a gift? Do you see her role as necessary in your life? Do do you see that she plays an important role in your growth and godliness? I, I once heard a pastor tell a room full of pastors, Men, the voice of the Holy Spirit often sounds like the voice of your wife. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking truth through your wife? And do you invite that? Do, do you want that? Do you show honor to her? Like, look, men, if there is an area of your, of your character that your wife is kind of repeatedly hitting on, and you're stubbornly resisting that, do you realize that you're probably resisting the Holy Spirit? Because more than likely, she's right. She might not always articulate it correctly, but she's probably right at the core. And so men, part of the way we enter into conflict well and wisely is we honor our wives and we listen to them. We give them a voice. We don't shut it down. We don't minimize it. We go, you don't understand. You're a woman. Oh no, she understands plenty, bro. So we show honor. And finally, we show initiative. Men, you've been called to lead your marriage lead in your home you're called to set the culture of how you deal with conflict look how you deal with conflict that culture that you've created it is on you to lead in that doesn't mean that your wife doesn't have a role to play she does but it is on you to take initiative it is on you to take the leadership role to walk in wisdom and godliness this doesn't mean you wait for her to get it together it doesn't wait for her to become a person of more character. No, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you lead and you love. Be the lead repenter in your home. Be the one to take initiative to not let conflict fester and cause division. Be the one to take initiative in conversations that need to happen. Be the one to take initiative in prayer. Because look, you're going to blow it. You're going to fail. This is why you need Jesus. This is why Jesus died for you. This is why Jesus gives you his spirit. And so there's great hope for you in the midst of this. Even when you fail, there is wonderful hope for you because of Christ. Stand in the identity that you have. Rest in the power of the Holy Spirit and love and lead your wife in a wise way. Ladies, this is what this looks like for you. Proverbs 31 talks about a strong woman. An excellent wife who can find She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. the word translated excellent here in the Hebrew literally means strength. This kind of strength. Strength that gives somebody value and worth, but also strength that causes those around them to flourish. So an excellent wife, a strong wife... A wife of great worth that uses her strength that others can flourish. Who can find such a wife? But this is exactly who Christ transforms you into, ladies. This is the power of the gospel in your life. Transforms controlling ladies into strong ladies. Now some of you may ask, well isn't a strong woman a woman who controls? Isn't isn't a, a strong woman someone who exercises authority over her husband, tries to take power away from her husband? And sadly, there are some in the church that would say this, that that a woman should never exercise strength. She should kind of retreat back and sort of hide, hide her voice, hide any strength God has given her. But Proverbs says something entirely different. Proverbs celebrates a strong woman. Proverbs celebrates the woman who uses her strength that her husband may flourish. Because look, a controlling woman finds strength in themselves. A strong woman, she finds true strength in the Lord. A controlling woman is driven by fear. A strong woman is driven by faith. A a controlling woman puts their hope and security in circumstances. A strong woman puts their hope and security in the Lord. There's a big difference. So what does it look like to walk in godly strength? Well, this was fun. I I reached out to a number of ladies in the church that I know are, are learning how to do this. And they have experience in in walking in greater and greater strength. They might not tell you they feel strong. They're going to say, I feel really weak and messed up. But there's been incredible grace in their life. And I wanted to hear from them because I wanted, in some ways, them to disciple all of you, ladies. I I said, hey, let me take your words and sort of speak through me about the things the Lord has shown you and the ways that you're growing in wisdom. And what was pretty cool is that they all sort of said the same thing in different ways. But, but here's what they've been learning. Here, here's some truth that I, I think comes right from Scripture. But is, this, this, is, this is ladies in this church that are growing in this way. The first thing, and this, this came up repeatedly, is that, ladies, cultivating repentance of control and fear is huge to your freedom. Like, if you want to be free from that tendency to control and fear, walking in greater and greater repentance is this wonderful, amazing experience because here's what happens. You recognize this ultimately isn't about my husband. This is about how I see God. This is about whether or not I trust the Lord in his goodness. So as I'm repenting, I'm turning to the Lord and trusting in him and I'm, I'm moving away from my own sin and my own control and my own fear. And so walking in repentance, celebrating repentance, sets you on the trajectory of freedom. Second, and this is similar to the what I said to the guys, seeing that this is ultimately about your husband growing in godliness, like that the conflict you experience is about the Lord using you to grow him in godliness. Do you see that? It's not about setting circumstances so you feel safe. It is about him growing in godliness and the Lord using you to accomplish that. You have a greater purpose than just managing circumstances, managing safety. You are an agent of the Holy Spirit's You are cooperating with God to help your husband grow. Third, prayer. Man, praying for your husband. This sounds so cliche, but this is what lady after lady after lady said is the effect of prayer. When you start praying for your husband, here's what you do. You stop trying to control him because you realize you can't change him. And you realize that it is the Holy Spirit that changes my husband. So as you're praying for him and you're letting go of control, that allows you to be patient with him. It allows you to say, hey, look, it's not my angry voice. It's not my angsty, worrying. It's not the force of my personality and the way that I control him to do certain things. It's the Holy Spirit. And so you don't have to do that stuff anymore. And you can stop trying to control your husband and walk in greater freedom and see the Lord transform him. And so, ladies, there is great benefit here for you. There's great freedom here for you as you pray for your husband because the Lord is the one who changes him. And that's hard. That isn't easy. Letting go of control is not easy. That's why this takes true strength. That's why Proverbs calls a woman who can do this strong because any woman can control. A strong woman trusts in the Lord when it is difficult. And so praying for your husband rather than controlling him. Third, speaking truth to him. Like here's here's two things that are true at the same time. You probably struggle with control and fear and your husband needs to change. Like those things are true at the same time. So if you're working and repenting on control and fear, you're still called to speak truth to him. He still needs you. He still needs your voice. He still needs to change and grow and mature. And so speak truth to him. Love him, encourage him, serve him. Recognize that leadership is not easy, and try to make his leadership something that is joyful and less burdensome. Like be patient with his weaknesses, be patient with the responsibility that God has called him to, and support him in that. Seek understanding. So speak truth, and also seek understanding. Do you know what tempts your husband? Do you know what what your husband fears? Do you know the the things in his heart that cause him to act in sin? And I want to encourage you the same way, asking questions. Hey, when you spent money on that thing, can you tell me why you did that? Hey, hey, when you're parenting our kids this way, can you explain to me why? Just help me understand that. Like, Like entering into things with questions to allow the Holy Spirit to convict rather than coming on strong and putting him back on his heels. So seeking understanding, asking questions, and supporting him, encouraging him. And I would also encourage you to respond to his correction. Like, ladies, you need to be corrected. You need the Holy Spirit to speak truth to you through your husband. And so responding when he speaks truth to you. And lastly, I would say this. Encourage your husband to hang out with good guy, godly guy friends. Um, I'm sorry about this, ladies, but here's how guys op- often operate. Like, you can say something to us for like a year, and then a guy friend will say it like once and we will listen. I-, I don't know, that's just the way guys are. that that we're wired to be stubborn like that. But when you recognize that it's not on you to change him and control him, and you recognize, hey, okay, glory to God, he's changing. Glory to God, he's listening. And so he needs good friends. He needs friends that are gonna speak truth to him. So encourage him in that. Don't let him isolate. And really, husbands, same thing for your wives. They need good friends. They need community. We all need community. And so in the power of the gospel, Angry husbands are transformed into faithful husbands. And controlling wives are transformed into strong wives. In church, in conclusion, let me say this. We live in a marriage-centric context. Like most of you in this room are married. Our our community is family-centric, marriage-centric, but there is so much brokenness. Whether it is obvious or hidden, there is so much brokenness. And so we need the power of the gospel to transform us. We need the power of the gospel to bring healing and wisdom and growth and godliness to us. But as that happens to us, here's what we do. We put the gospel on display because this is what Ephesians says. Marriage ultimately points to Christ in his church. And so when our marriages are defined by the power of the gospel, even in the midst of conflict, we put the gospel on display. We point to Christ and the church, and that speaks volumes to our city. Like, our city needs to know that the power of the gospel can transform marriage and that marriage is about something greater. And so I'm calling us not just to experience healing here, but for the sake of mission, for the sake of the glory of God in Bellevue and Papillion and Omaha and Plattsmouth. Let's let the gospel transform us so we can put the gospel on display in our marriages so that others may come to know Christ. Amen?